0: Welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. I'm your host, Paige Geidel, and I am so stoked that you found us. We are a community of creative Christian women in their 20s, and you are invited to be a part of it. Each week, I invite a guest on the show to chat about all things marriage, motherhood, homemaking, small business, and following Jesus. My friend, there is a seat here for you at the table, and I so hope that you choose to be a part of this community. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Hey, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. You are listening to episode number 46, and I cannot wait to share my conversation with Rachel Kovac, who is just an incredible woman. She does so many things, but does them very well. And I absolutely loved learning from her and I can't wait to share all about it with you guys. If you are new here, then welcome. I am so excited that you're listening in. This is a show for creative Christian women chatting about marriage, motherhood, homemaking, and following Jesus. Usually we like to cover all of those topics and maybe some more like tangentially related ones like birth or sewing. We just like talking about all kinds of things and sharing women's stories so that way we can be encouraged and inspired to, you know, love our families well, create beautiful homes, and ultimately chase after Jesus with our whole hearts. If you would also be willing to take a second and leave a rating or a review for the podcast on Apple or Spotify, that would truly mean the world. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you who have done that. And if you have left a review, I've been sharing them on Instagram. So you might see yours on Instagram stories. Thank you guys so much for doing that. I know you all hear people talking about it all the time, but it really is one of the best ways for more like-minded women to find the show along with you guys just sharing organically. I love how many people will comment on Instagram or message me like, my friend sent me the show and I've listened to four episodes today. Like that is just the best. It's so heartwarming and I love when you guys find us and it feels like home. A lot of times I really love chatting with women on here who are in my same life stage. Um, I'm 23 and married with young kids. And so obviously not every single person is like my age with the same number of kids or ages or whatever. But a lot of them are like younger moms or moms with younger kids. But I also really love having women on the show who are a few stages ahead in life and who I can learn from, and who maybe are raising their children or creating family cultures that are similar to what my husband and I really want for our family. And Rachel Kovac is definitely one of those people. She is a mother to six children. And she homeschools them in Texas and also just lives a very creative life. I remember coming across her page, which I share about on the podcast, but she had sewn her daughters these beautiful nightgowns for Christmas and like wrote this gorgeous caption um, about how it was a tradition that she did for her girls every year and then I kept scrolling and reading and she posted a video of her children like singing worship songs in this beautiful like indie folk style she has like kids from 17 down to 4 and they were playing instruments and just singing like it wasn't this performative thing they were just in their home like worshiping and I was like who is this woman? Like I want to get to know her and learn from her and just hear about um, how she's raised her children. And so today you really will get a glimpse into Rachel's life and I think you are going to find it so, so encouraging, especially if homeschooling is something you're considering or if sewing is of interest to you. And honestly, if neither of those things apply to you, Rachel is just a woman who loves the Lord and who has 17 years of parenting experience, you guys, which tells me that we all have something we can learn from her. So without further ado, I can't wait for you guys to listen. Let's dive into my conversation with Rachel Kovac. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be talking with you this afternoon. I'm so excited to be here talking with you, Paige. Yes, it's so fun that this is not like the first time we've talked. You actually got to come to my house on a road trip recently, um, yes. which is just like the best, most random surprise that you happen to be driving through my city where I live. It was so amazing. Was that like a about a month ago, I think, at this point?
1: It was back in June.
0: Yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you guys have been all over with all of your road tripping adventures, which hopefully we'll get to talk about a little bit on the show. But we got connected on Instagram and I believe I found your page through IC Fabric um, because I think they reposted like the nightgowns that you made for your girls. And I remember like seeing that and gasping and clicking on the picture and then reading through like some of your writings and being like, oh, this woman is like who I aspire to be in 20 years. So I just am so excited to be talking with you and learning from you today.
1: Oh, you're so encouraging, Paige.
0: Could you just give our listeners a little introduction to who you are, what you do, who your family is, and um, where you guys live?
1: Yeah, so we have six children. We live in Texas and um, we're, we're a homeschooling family and we're trying to live a creative lifestyle here in in South Central Texas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think it's so fun just getting to pick your brain on so many things. And like I said, whenever you and... Um, your youngest children stopped to we got to have dinner together and i just remember asking you like so many questions about so many different things between like marriage and your christian walk and like mothering and so i'm really excited to kind of dig into some of that stuff today and i love also that you said that you guys are yeah wanting to live a creative life because i think i'm realizing more and more that like motherhood is like the ultimate act of like being creative. And I think Mm -hmm. that has been such a huge perspective shift for me going from having like endless bouts of free time, especially becoming a mom, like right after college, there was like three months between like graduating college and, you know, having tons of autonomy and then like being a mother. And so to see how you have not only like been able to continue living creatively um, just as a woman, but also like getting to teach your children and guide them as they like explore their creativity, I just think is so, so incredible. Um, So thank you just for the example that you are leading for so many of us. Oh, thanks, Paige. I think like you, I was also
1: a young mother and I had my first child at only 23. Mm -hmm. Um, Not long after graduating from college, I was working at the university and most of my friends were either going on to grad school or traveling the world. And so it definitely could be an isolating experience. And creativity was just this source of joy and solace for me. Um, I think we are all made in the image of God and God is a creator. He is the ultimate artist. And so that ability to create lies within each and every one of us. I've noticed that some people feel like they are inherently not creative. They'll say, I'm not a creative person, just like they may say, I'm not a math person. But I think that within all of us, there lies the inherent um, ability to create. And I think it looks different for different people. A lot of people equate creativity with being able to draw. So if as a child, they couldn't draw very well or paint very well in art class, they were told that they weren't creative and they carry this kind of baggage with them moving forward. Um, and so I think I carried that same baggage, both about math and about creativity. Um, And so it wasn't until college that I realized that I enjoyed math. And it wasn't until into adulthood that I saw myself as also being a creative person. And So I think we're all made to be creative. And it looks different for each person, but it lies Mm -hmm. within us all.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's so interesting. I never truly thought about that. I think as far as yeah, one's proficiency and art class being equated to how creative they are in a scale of one to 10. But that's totally true. I mean, I think all of us can probably think of at least, you know, five interactions with different people where they've said or shared an experience um, really similar to that. So I love mm. that perspective. Could you just kind of take us back? I know you just touched on saying that um, you had your oldest when you were 23 and man i just feel like so many women are in the thick of that where they've chosen to get married and have a baby like early on when their friends are yeah traveling or in grad school or just young professionals and you can it's just like getting tossed into this totally different world um so could you just yeah kind of walk us through like How you and your husband met, and just the early years of marriage and motherhood for you in your early mid 20s.
1: Yeah. Um, So, my husband and I met at church. Um, We had attended the same church for several years, and we had been on the same worship team. And I, at that time, was engaged to the worship leader, and my husband was a drummer. And we found out that his he was married at the time to someone else, and she had been diagnosed with brain cancer, and she kept the journey, you know private. they it was a very sacred thing for them. They wanted to keep it within only a small amount of people knowing that that she was sick. And so when they ultimately mm-hmm. told the church it came as a very big surprise, and it was really only two weeks before she passed away that they publicly shared that information. And so,
0: um,
1: yeah, so um, the night that she, the night after she passed away, I had a dream. So I had known her for three years and um, I had a dream that she came to me and just said that um, Jan, my husband now, and um, I were, you know, soulmates and that I was going to walk him through this and that we were meant to be together. Now, I mean, can I ever really know? the spiritual significance of that. But I, I feel like it's true. I feel like he and I um, are an incredible match. And it's such a loss to go through something like that. Um, but I just felt like I was in love with him from that moment on. And the person I was engaged to, there were a lot of red flags in that relationship. Um, and so I ended up calling off my wedding Twenty six days before the wedding was supposed to oh
0: my happen,
1: all of my invitations were out, and I mean we we had a high dynamic, conflict filled relationship, and and I think a lot of people were relieved when we called off the wedding, okay. and then my husband and I had a whirlwind romance, and we dated for six months and planned a wedding in two weeks and got married. So wow.
0: Um,
1: Yeah, I really can't
0: even imagine. How old were you at this point, Rachel? Because then you have a child with him at 23. So you had to have been like, I don't know, were you 20 or 21? Well, that all happened my senior year in college. So I was getting ready to
1: graduate college and I was supposed to get married immediately after, you know, in the summer after my college graduation. And so um, it was very intense. I felt like... (laughs) I don't know i I felt like it was just a lot of things happening all at one time, so yeah, yeah. so we wow. just went for it, and I think people had their their you know I think they were worried about my husband and I because he mm-hmm. had just gone through this great loss, and I had just come out of this relationship, and I mean, there were a lot of ways it could have gone wrong, but thankfully it's been one hundred percent right for us, <laughs>
0: wow, yeah, I love that, and I think the dream is so incredible too, like. You said like, I guess there's no way of obviously for sure knowing whether that was from the Lord, but it sounds like, I mean, it really was. That's just so wild that you had probably, I mean, he's married, like you've never looked at him in that way or thought of him in that way. And then to overnight switch from being engaged to someone else, that's just like so wild. And I totally see the Lord's hand in all of that.
1: Um, yeah, like there were quite a few months, several months between when I had that dream and, and, you know, the relationship was already tumultuous with my ex. And so yeah, um,
0: yeah. but
1: yeah, I just felt completely head over heels in love with him. And mm. so from that moment yeah. on, still do. Wow. I still am
0: 19 years.
1: That. Yeah, 19 years of marriage in December. Or so okay. Oh, my goodness. That is yeah. And he's 13 years older, almost 13 years older than me. So that was also something that like, it was not at all in my radar to fall in love with him. He was at that point when you're 22 years old, someone who's nearly 35 feels very old. (laughs) And (laughs) then he had been married and I always knew him as this married man and I loved his wife and you know,
0: yeah. Yeah. So special that you got to like attend church with her though too and like kind of get to know her a little bit as well. I just think that's so neat, such a neat story.
1: Yeah. And she had actually been sick for 10 years of, so this wasn't a surprise. I mean, some pe- I think okay. in grief, there can be a lot of judgment that people need to all grieve in the same way. And when C.S. Lewis wrote his book, A Grief Observed, he called it a grief observed because there's not just one way to approach grief. Every person is different and there can be a lot of shame around grief or expectation around grief. And wow. so some people were very angry with him and would say, you, you never loved her if you could move on so fast or so quickly. But his his love was demonstrated by ten years of caring for her through brain surgeries and chemotherapy and radiation, and she would have these long periods of health, but then you know, the tumor would return, and so mm. he demonstrated his fidelity to her in every way possible. But it was yeah. also a long goodbye. She was told when she was diagnosed that she would not live a long life. They never had children together, but they were married for 12 years.
0: Wow. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful perspective that, yeah, he did demonstrate his love in caring for her all that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And um, I can only imagine what like an amazing husband that built in him. And how blessed you were to like inherit that. Um, Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. so incredible. So then you jump into parenthood together, kind of, I mean, pretty early on then in your marriage, I'm guessing too. Had you like decided, I guess, and kind of planned that you wanted to have babies earlier or was it something that just kind of happened for you guys? Um, well, it was, we
1: had talked about it because he was older, but at the same time, I thought that I wanted to get my PhD. I was working at the university of Wisconsin in Madison as a teaching assistant and research assistant. And I, um, I, I was planning on pursuing that path and I found out I was pregnant. I mean, we, we, you know, we were, it's a long story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Trying, not trying. Yeah. (laughs) We don't have to share all the details. But yeah,
1: we'd only been married for four months when I found out I was pregnant with our son. And I was completely surprised. The doctors, I thought I was just exhausted um, from the long school year. And the doctor told me I was pregnant. And I said, what? And how did this happen? And he said, don't you know the story of the birds and the bees?
0: (laughs) That Um, is so funny. So the doctor told you, you didn't even like test and... No, through that. no. You'd gone to the doctor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah,
1: because I was like, I'm not feeling very well.
0: I don't know what's going on. I've been working a lot and yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And then um, your second, is Indigo your second? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So what is their like kind of age gap? I guess what are the ages of your children right now?
1: Okay. They're 17, 15, 13,
0: 10,
1: 7, and 4.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah. So all like about, what is that like about three years apart, two or three years?
1: Yeah. Jude and Indigo are the closest and they're about 26 months apart. And that was
0: so hard.
1: Yes. <laughs> it was so hard. And then our third child is adopted, was okay. adopted.
0: Yes. Yep. Okay. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to kind of touch on that in a little bit, but I remember when you and I got together, I don't, think I knew this. You were a lactation consultant for quite mm-hmm. a while and were you a doula as well? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So how did you kind of get into that and how long and like what context were you working in that field?
1: Mm-hmm. So after my daughter Indigo was born, I became a doula mm-hmm. and I worked with the doulas here in our city. And then um, we adopted our third child from Ethiopia. And after we adopted her, I felt so passionately about keep helping to keep birth families together. I learned a lot in adoption education about the grief that birth mothers experience. They, on average, grieve for five years. It's they say equivalent to someone who loses a child, like intense grieving. And I felt um, like I wanted to help try to keep birth families together. So um, I just felt really passionate about that. Like I think, so anyway, um, I started working at a transition home for women who are experiencing homelessness, who were pregnant or had young children. I had gone through the training to be a birth doula, but my husband worked a lot and I had young children and I was breastfeeding. Um, I I breastfed for like 16 years. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was hard for me to be away for those long stretches of time. Um, And so I worked in postpartum care um, as a postpartum doula. And as I was working with these women I started to see that they desired to breastfeed and had not been given the correct information. And I wanted to help them as best I could as a doula, but I really needed more education. So Mm -hmm. I went online to Georgetown University Hospital and I got a degree in lactation counseling. And uh, then I worked at that transitional home until I had my daughter Iris our fourth child.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. So neat. I feel like there are so many women who just experience the beauty of pregnancy and birth and, you know, postpartum is such an interesting season. It can be so beautiful and so raw and so challenging for some women. And, um, I feel like my friends and I often say, like, maybe when we're in our 50s, we'll, like, all become midwives or doulas or lactation consultants together because it's just such an amazing thing. And I think it's so amazing how birth and nursing and just those seasons can shape us and we can see the holes in our own experiences. Like, man, this was so helpful and I really valued this, um, like, care – this provider supporting me in this way or like grieving. Like I really wish I would have had this type of support. And so it's neat though. It sounds like through adopting your daughter, that was actually kind of the catalyst for you in like wanting to pursue some of this work. I'm sure in addition to your own like birth and nursing experiences too, but your passion for that kind of came from that, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I had already, before we adopted, I had already had my certification in
1: um, being a doula, okay. but, uh, and I had already been through all the training, but I think I specifically wanted to work with mothers who needed additional support. Mm-hmm. I mean, all women need support, so I guess that's not the right way to say it, but I specifically wanted to work with these mothers.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. mm mm-hmm. That's so special. Are you still connected to this transition home? Is that what you called it?
1: Yeah. Um, No, I am now more involved in the homeschooling world, I guess. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Right. Well, it totally makes sense as like seasons shift and change. And that's kind of like more the season of life that you're in right now. I don't know if I actually added this on the outline, but I do want to touch more on um, the adoption process really fast. While we're talking about that, is that something that you had always thought that you wanted to do, or what led you guys to adopt your daughter internationally?
1: Well, my husband grew up in West Africa. He was raised in the jungle, and then he also later was sent to boarding school um, in Cote d'Ivoire. And so, and also, my husband's sister was adopted from South Korea, and so I think specifically because his family had been shaped by adoption, um, we we actually hadn't really talked about it, but he went to India, and we immediately had the same thought that we wanted to adopt a child, and so we just did. <laughs> I
0: mean, it's a very long process. Yeah. It was a very long
1: process. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got to chat with someone on the podcast. Her name is Morgan. And I don't know if you've come across her page at all, but her business is called Wilder Way Threads. And she sells the most beautiful vintage rugs and textiles. And then they donate, I think it's like 25% toward a specific family who's adopting internationally. And it started as, like, a fundraiser for their own family to adopt their daughter from India um, and now has turned into this, like, really neat, uh, like, ministry, basically, but also just the most beautiful rugs. And so that's been, like, pretty cool to follow along mm-hmm. with. But, yeah, she mm-hmm. touched on just, like, what a wild process it is mm-hmm. to navigate. Mm-hmm. And so for you, I can only imagine, like, navigating all the paperwork and Doing all that while you said you had two young kids and your husband was working (laughs) during this time, too. That's so much. Yeah.
1: A lot of people will call it a paper pregnancy. Like it's when you're pregnant, it can be difficult. And then when you're pursuing an adoption, it takes time. And so,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, when you were working as a lactation consultant, At this home, how are you kind of like discerning? I don't know. I think something I hear a lot from um, moms in my season of life is like they want to be at home, but they also want to have kind of like some other activities where they're really creative and passionate or they want to use their degree. Just kind of the constant tension of like, I have young kids. Do I work? Do I not work? What was that process like for you to kind of like discern
1: that? Mm -hmm. Well, my husband and I met in Madison, Wisconsin, and I had thought about possibly still going back to pursue a degree because I was really passionate about research and also teaching. But my husband got a job opportunity in Texas, and we didn't plan to be here permanently. But it just worked out and other doors closed. And now we're very happy here. But there wasn't a university that was near me that had my degree that I was interested in pursuing. And so and I had wanted to go to a tier one research school so I could, because I really wanted to do research and not not just teach, you know, there's kind of a distinction between research universities and teaching colleges or universities. And so that door was closed for me. Um, And then in terms of balancing motherhood with my work at the transitional home, I had one day a week where I would go there and work and, and spend that day it wasn't even a full day, um, and it was every Friday, and so it just became a part of our routine. And
0: mm-hmm. I felt like
1: that was just the right amount of time for me to be away. And I I did that until my fourth w- child was born, and then she had colic and ne- needed to be carried a lot, and a lot of sep- like a lot of separation um, issues. I wouldn't really even say issues. I mean, it's normal for babies to want to be near their mothers, and it just felt like her needs were too great for me to be able to go outside of the home to pursue my work as a lactation counselor at that time.
0: Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think
0: it's neat that you were able to find that kind of balance of, I like how you said it was just part of your routine. I think that's really neat and removes some of the, I think, guilt that, Um, moms can take on as they're navigating. Am I going back to work? Am I starting something new or just kind of what does that look like? But I also personally am a lot more like prone to like an attachment parenting, like gentle parenting approach. And so I also love that you wanted to be with your babies and just nurse them as much as you could.
1: Yeah, it would just be too hard to be away for that long. And it was a 30 minute drive each way. And so, yeah, it just, I'm not really someone that sets out with an agenda. I kind of flow to what's opening and what's closing. And Mm
0: -hmm. that just seemed
1: to be what was opening and then closing for me at that season in my life. And I was paid for that work. It wasn't a volunteer position. So we had a babysitter that would come in that the kids loved and they enjoyed that time with her. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it it was a lovely season of life.
0: Yeah. That's so special. And then let's see, how old was your oldest when Iris was born? When did you kind of feel like a changing, a shift in seasons to be like leaving that position, homeschooling? Yeah. How old Is your son named Jude? Is yeah, that right? Jude. Okay. How old mm-hmm. was he at this point when Iris was born?
1: He was six. Okay. Yeah. He was. Okay. Uh, he was almost seven, so we were not yet homeschooling. But then we started homeschooling when he was in third grade. When he started third grade, so. Okay.
0: It, yeah. So I'd love to hear. Obviously, you have like a passion and this background in teaching, and specifically in like research. But um, like, I can hear like just through hearing your story, you're clearly passionate about like teaching through like your doula, um, experience, your lactation counseling, a lot of your educational background. So from where I stand, it sounds like homeschooling just kind of made sense, but was that something that like, how did homeschooling the idea of it, um, I guess kind of enter your radar? What did that look like for you guys?
1: It's interesting you say that because I have literally never had that realization about myself.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh my goodness.
1: Although I have felt like I really struggled to let go of my dream of being a professor. And now I do feel like this is my dream job. So I have had that realization. No, actually we didn't set out to homeschool at all. My husband had been homeschooled in the jungle. He didn't care for the experience. He was relieved to go to boarding school, even though he was Sent to boarding school when he was only 13 years old. Um, he still preferred it to being in being homeschooled. And my aunts at homeschool; they were the first generation homeschoolers. And there's a lot of stereotypes that are attached to all of that. We never set out to homeschool. Our kids went to a preschool. It's a it was a learning through play, natural kind of preschool where they just spent a lot of time outdoors. and Love that. <laughs> they presented a lot of material on not pushing reading too early. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And so it was just about experiences and the imagination. And so we had, I think that's very similar to what a lot of homeschoolers are doing now, that kind of philosophy, like better late than early. There's this short mm. window of childhood and it, it closes um, and it can never be you can never get that window back. And so children need this time to explore and to play and, and to sink into rhythms. And, and so that was all very natural. And when I first had my son Jude, two of my girlfriends that significantly shaped my parenting, they had backgrounds in alternative education. So from the beginning, we were talking about Mont- a Montessori education, Waldorf. I learned about Charlotte Mason more through Wild and Free in the homeschooling community. But yeah. I think that all of those theories are holistic. And so I think when you look at them, they're not as different as people necessarily think because it's about the whole child. It's not just about nurturing the intellect, it's about looking at the child as a whole person. And so I think they all have a somewhat similar vibe, even though the pedagogy is different between each. Each, um, you know, distinct realm of education.
0: Would you be able to actually give us for a second, like, I don't know. um, And if you don't want to, that's totally okay. But just like quick, like one sentence definitions of some of these different approaches for a mom who's maybe like thinking about homeschooling, but has no idea what Montessori and Waldorf and Charlotte Mason mean.
1: Oh, that's interesting. You know what? I'm putting you on the spot. So (laughs) if you
0: don't want to, that's totally okay. I can just cut this out.
1: (laughs) I am terrible at being concise. And so I feel like, I feel like I am, I don't feel like I would necessarily give the right answer. And I feel like people might say you couldn't really boil them down to a single, you know, sentence, but maybe someone would
0: disagree with that. Books and books and books and all of these. So that's like a big ask to...
1: Yeah, we have leaned more toward a Waldorf education, but I know a lot about Charlotte Mason. Um, And honestly, now that I've been homeschooling for for as long as we have, it will be 10 years this year or 11. Sometimes I lose track. Um, (laughs) I just think people get too... Sometimes I don't think we should be imprisoned by a philosophy.
0: Mm, And so I think mm -hmm. we can
1: take the good and all of these different philosophies and... You know, but if we try to adhere to them too strictly, if that works for you, that's great. And if it feels confining, I think we should just take what works for us and know that part of the the awesomeness of homeschooling is that you can choose a curriculum or a theory or pedagogy for your own child, and so you can make it your own. You don't have to follow what everything Maria Montessori said or everything Rudolf Steiner who started the Waldorf education believed. I mean, I don't believe in a lot of what Rudolf Steiner believed. Um, Some people have their issues with him. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you can make it your own and take what you like and leave the rest.
0: Yeah, that's
1: so good. We hadn't set out at all to homeschool. But as our as our children transitioned out of that, like, crunchy granola, learning through play outdoorsy preschool and kindergarten, into the options here in our city. um, It was mostly the kind of schooling that is lots of worksheets, um, limited recess. Some of the children would talk and then the entire class would lose recess. And so I would pick up my son from school and he would say like, it's another day without any recess. And it was very pitiful actually. And then um and then one day we were working and then there was lots of homework afterward, like pretty much the amount of homework that a child would have if you homes like an entire day of homeschooling, because homeschooling in the early grades isn't a lot of work, you know? Mm-hmm. Except it was in the form of worksheets and and like that didn't that was just soul sucking for me to just You know, and for my children, all of the worksheets that they had to do and to have to have them be at school all day and then make them do these worksheets. But my son looked at me once and he said, Mom, this is too much pressure. And he started crying and he was only in second grade. And that's that was a wake up call that I just felt like, okay, this is just not going to work for us. But I still had a lot of trepidation about homeschooling. I'm just not really someone that goes into decisions and feels like how I told you I don't approach things with an agenda. I have a lot of fear about things sometimes, even though I don't feel like I'm an anxious person when I'm making a big life decision. I don't necessarily feel complete confidence. And I think sometimes we have a misconception about that, that if we're making the right choice that we're going to feel no fear at all, or we're going to feel 100% confident when actually I felt like I was moving forward in spite of my fears. And Mm. the Christian community, I think, can really reinforce that in a negative way by saying, if that's meant for you, the Lord will give you peace. And for me, the truth is that most of my best decisions have been stepping out in fear and just trusting that the Lord is going to be directing my path. And it hasn't for me been about like having this sense of complete confidence.
0: Wow. That is so good, Rachel. I feel like you just articulated something um, that I've never been able to find words for, but it's so, so true. Like, oh, Once you have complete and total peace from the Holy Spirit, then you can like move forward with this. But yeah, sometimes it is being like, okay, I've been asking and waiting for an answer. I don't feel like I've necessarily heard anything. So I'm going to proceed in faith and trust that you will guide me. That's so helpful. Wow. So that was your experience as you were kind of choosing to homeschool.
1: Well, and I still had a lot of fear. We were thinking of moving um, to Colorado. My husband had this job opportunity. There was an amazing school there with a thriving Ethiopian community that we were really excited to be a part of because our daughter was adopted from Ethiopia. And then everything fell through at the last minute. And we were crushed, I mean, devastated. And then a job opportunity opened up him to go to London. And we thought, okay, it was a five-year opportunity. And we thought maybe we'll homeschool for this time. um, And then we can explore Europe because it was a job where he could have worked remotely. And there was a transitional period before the Colorado job that was supposed to happen where we were going to have had to homeschool for a few months. And I thought, okay, I could do this for a few months. And so once I kind of wrapped my head around that, then that all fell through. But but I had already started investigating homeschooling just for that that short amount of time. Yeah. And so then when, it, when we thought about going to Europe, it just seemed right. And we thought, okay, this could be a really cool thing. Um, and then that opportunity ended up falling through, but it did lead us into homeschooling, which is where we're we were supposed to be. And I think we were supposed to stay here in Texas and we're very happy here right now. So, Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm.
1: you know, I think we have this idea that we, everything is, we can sometimes bear the weight of the world thinking like we have to make all of these decisions, but really I believe all along we're led. Wendell Berry writes about that in Jaber Crow. We think that we're these free agents and that everything is, you know, weighing on us to make the right choice. But when you look back, I think we're being led and I I don't know how to explain it. It's a mystery,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: free free will and our agency uh, compared to, you know, what has been ordained since the beginning of time. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I know. Getting into some like deep theology here, (laughs) dipping our toes, free will and God's sovereignty and all that, but um. Yeah, no, I love that perspective. And I didn't even think about that being time sensitive as far as you making the decision, because at this point, your kids are in school, you're having to decide if you're enrolling them. Or exactly. So, yeah, and I yeah. was so
1: afraid. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to homeschool in the summer in Texas and see if I can handle it because if I can't, I'm bailing. I'm sending them back to school. At that point when everything had fell through and then we thought, well, should maybe we're supposed to homeschool.
0: And so I thought at least I have time to bail if I can start it in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> so here <sighs> you are, oh my goodness, over a decade later and you mm-hmm. have six children and you mm-hmm. have homeschooled. I guess Maeve isn't in school yet probably um yeah she's right. 4 so yeah, yeah right but that is just like and i know you are so passionate about this like you are a part of the wild and free community and i know you've done like some work for them and we can chat about that um but yeah it's just so neat to hear kind of the evolution of it and something else that i really appreciate about that story that you shared is I think that also will hopefully give people permission and freedom to like evolve, you know, like mm. what I heard you saying is that, you know, maybe you have now implemented some of these like um, Waldorf ideas, but I think it's so easy to think that with so many things in life, you just have to pick one particular ideal and then like stick to it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, this is completely different, but I even think with like um, – with like fashion like okay I have to choose am I like the prairie sundress girl am I like a modern sweat set girl like what type of like a style am I and it feels like you have to yeah choose this one kind of picture or ideal or character and stick to it and so in homeschooling I'm not there yet but already I've heard language and almost like um, these like little clubs or like how do I um, make friends and connect with different people based on how they how they what approach they take in schooling. So I um, just appreciate you kind of sharing that journey of how things have changed for you guys. I'm so curious. I can't even imagine now having kids in all of these different ages. Could you just kind of walk us through like a day in your life like how do you guys structure um, your homeschool days? Yeah, um. Well, I think I have now
1: incorporated aspects of, you know, Charlotte Mason philosophy, I would say, too, where we homeschool kind of like the one room schoolhouse idea of we all gather around love the table that. and and maybe you've heard of morning time that was something that Cindy Rollins started and she said if i knew that everybody was going to call it morning time i would have come up with a more creative name
0: <laughs> <laughs> i've heard like baskets like basket more. time or table time or some of these different ones yeah yeah morning time so now we that. do
1: that where every day we're we're reading poetry we're memorizing poetry we're memorizing a longer um section of scripture. Usually lately I've been into the King James. I just, I just think it's really beautiful. We're always, yeah, yeah, it's so poetic. I think, I think like so many of these things, if it's forced upon you and you feel like it has to be the only way, then that's not for me. But when you can choose it freely, I think it's, I think it's beautiful to hear the Christmas story Luke two in the KJV or Psalm 23. I want these things in my children's hearts. Um, it, because it stood the test of time, and um, these stories, and and even the King James version, it's been around, I believe, since the fifteen hundreds. Um, but then we're also reading stories, and I take a more Waldorf approach to stories, where I work in blocks. So instead of like Charlotte Mason separates subjects, but in a Waldorf philosophy although I am so not a Waldorf purist anymore because there are very specific things you do in a Waldorf education at every grade. And I just have too many children to do that anymore. I did it for a while. Um, but I just choose like a block or some people might call it, it's not really like a unit study exactly, but we'll go really deep into something and just try to understand it. So maybe one year it was African fairy tales. Um, one year it was the reformation. Um, one year we've done a lot of indigenous people's studies and we just go really deep into, into the materials. Um, and so that's been really interesting. And then it's interesting to see the way that everything interlaps and is, is connected because even when we're, I think Charlotte Mason called it the science of relations that even when you're studying various things, you'll start to see the points of connection between them. Right now we're doing Shakespeare. Um, And we're reading a Wendell Berry book on peacemaking and pacifism. But afterward, we're going to read C.S. Lewis's book, Why I'm Not a Pacifist,
0: because I just want them to hear all sides and then we can discuss it, you know? (laughs) I love this. I remember you telling me that your kid said something um, that your superpower is being able to see all sides of like a particular topic or argument. I don't know if you remember sharing that with me, but I just think that is so funny that you can like see different perspectives. I think that's beautiful. They would say my
1: flex, so they don't necessarily mean it. (laughs) You use the word superpower. Like they say, I will say, well, you know, I can see all sides.
0: (laughs) That's funny. That's so funny. That Is your biggest flex? I love that. So yeah, so it's a it is a flex because I I can be quite the opposite um, and feel very strongly about my particular opinion. So I think that's an area of growth for me that I'm inspired by.
1: I love when people are passionate about what they believe. So I like to hear I like to hear all sides, Paige. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) that is so fun. How do you go about choosing what? Kind of, I guess, focus you guys are going to have. I love the wide range, by the way, of Shakespeare and African fairy tales and all of that. That's so neat. Well, okay, so we are very traditional in that because
1: I was told that I wasn't good at math. One of the things that my husband felt passionately about too, because he felt like he had some baggage with math, was he wanted our children to have a very strong math um, background in in school, and so mm-hmm. we have them each in separate math curriculums. That's not like a morning time thing. And then once they get into seventh grade, we start them with this program called ThinkWell. It is endorsed by both Johns Hopkins and Duke. And I'm very happy to say that my son, after being homeschooled all of his life, took the SAT. And at first he had never done standardized tests. We don't do worksheets. And like his first time through was like a little bit shocking, but his second time he got a 1300. So that was a great score for him, and he might take it one more time. But on the math, he got a well. On the practice test, he got a seven hundred, so he might, you know, go back. That was having like no history at all in standardized tests and spending a month preparing. It's not like he even been spent that much time, so so that wow. was great. But they are in a homeschool co-op in our city where one day a week, they take classes. And so okay. they take Spanish and science and art and all of the like you know the basics. And so like Brit Lit or American literature, and they're intense. And then it's more like college where they come home and manage their time. And they would do that in the afternoons. Um, okay. And so in the morning, we can do whatever we want to do. Mm-hmm. And then- in um, the afternoon, like whatever I want to do, whatever I want them to learn that I think is beautiful and noteworthy and uh, expansive. And then they have their more traditional schooling, I guess you could say. It's still not that traditional. It's not like worksheets and multiple choice tests or anything. Yeah, yeah. They work on that in the afternoon, but they are getting that kind of um, maybe you would say traditional again education where they're having those those classes like physics and Mm -hmm. biology lab and yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's so cool. I feel like that's something I've heard from a lot of people about homeschooling is like, um, oh, well, I would do it until they get to high school because what about those sorts of things? And so I think it's neat how um, you guys have found a a good – Fit that works for you that they can go. And I imagine that's totally going to prepare them for college if that's something that they decided to do. In yeah, being able to manage all of their things really well. It's so interesting that you say that because I've been wanting to write about this, but you know,
1: as we've been talking about wanting to connect and just communicating, my house has been under construction. We had major water damage yes. back in February. I was yes. on the road, like so that they could do the demo. There was black mold. Um, everything has been just completely turned upside down. So I haven't been able to post much on Instagram or write anything at all. I just I did a huge sewing spree. Essentially, <laughs> I haven't yes. shared about it because I've just been too busy. Uh, But I feel so passionately about homeschooling through high school. I think it's been amazing. It's been so... In fact, I would go so far as to say I think a lot of people would consider homeschooling more in the earlier ages. And I think that's a time where you could say, I think going to a little preschool, if, if if it's what your kids like, and it works for your family, and it's affordable or whatever... I think that that can be a wonderful outlet for parents and for kids. Like small children can be very busy. At this season of my life, you know, I have six kids, so they're all playing with each other and coming up with the most imaginative games. And, but that wasn't always true. When I only had two children or three, it was hard to have so many small children and wanting to keep them entertained. And I mean, I always wanted them to have their own time to get bored and come up with their own games, but there's only so much of that that you that they can do it's not age appropriate right. to expect them to like do you know what i'm saying oh totally yeah like now that they have older children that they can play with it's it's a lot more it's i don't know but my point is that they they, they get their social needs met through each other our neighbors are homeschooled too so they're outside and like they're so creative coming up with the most imaginative things but preschool for my older two kids was an amazing thing. It was Mm -hmm. awesome. And I don't at all regret sending them to preschool. I think homeschooling through high school, when most people feel the most hesitation, that has been so rewarding. The kids have had time to explore their own interests. My son and daughter are both very into music. My son leads worship on Wednesday nights, but he just got an opportunity to lead worship at a church plant. Um, he is interested in starting a coffee business. He's figured out the graphic design, um, like how to do a coffee drop. Like if you had it roasted and shipped to people's homes, he's figured that all out on his own. He reads really deep literature right now. We're reading Dante together and just discussing it. Um, we are always listening to podcasts and talking through them. We don't always agree, but I am so about discussion and exploring ideas and for our children to find us as a safe place to ask the hard questions or the things ask the things that make us feel uncomfortable or the awkward questions or questions Mm. about sex or, you know, just all of it. Like I want them to be able to feel like they can come to me and they've been able to be the people that they are without feeling like they need to conform to societal norms that can, that can be a part of, you know high school or middle school. um, And they haven't had to deal with the drama and and the heartache of those really unhealthy and toxic situations that can occur in high school and middle school that aren't like the real world at all, I don't think. (laughs) Yeah,
0: right. Often I can think like, yeah, those types of situations within friend groups or like dating or high school drama, exactly like that is nothing like the real world and it's not going to prepare them for the real world. It's just like causing all sorts of confusion and wounding. And yeah, I think you said it so well. And you carry
1: that. I think you carry that, like you said, wounding. It's true. And I think people carry that into adulthood. And I've noticed because my kids have had healthy relationships modeled, they are so choosy. They have good friends. They are dear friends with Ainsley Arment, who started Wild and Free Her Boys, and they come up mm-hmm. with the most amazing ideas together, and they're so creative. They started a podcast together. They, Oh, my um, goodness. They, they're working on a record together. Um, they have a couple of friends here locally, but they're all just so healthy. They just have a radar for I'm not going to engage in drama or gossip or toxicity, and yeah. and then they've had time to do all these things, like create an album or my son is rebuilding a 1970 Land Rover with my husband. Um, he has all these life skills. He started a lawn business. It's called Great Yard Clips.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, that's amazing. He sounds so busy, but like. You said he has the time to like pour into these passions, and I had Michelle Garrels on episodes like thirty-two and thirty-three. And one thing she was saying is like, yeah, their oldest um, has kind of thought about like selling some of the things that she makes in like an Etsy store or something. And like she has the freedom and the time to like learn about business and like pursue her creative passions. And I think what's so neat is being able to study that and also. Learn that like within the safety and context of home. So they're able to like independently explore those things, but also they're still under your roof. And there's just so much that I imagine one can learn if you're being homeschooled in high school and um, learning what you want to do and what you don't want to do rather than sinking time and money and energy and effort into, you know, a college degree. While that can be obviously great, I feel like so many people take that path and only to realize, man, I had no clue what I wanted to do because they were in school. I was on Pinterest, I feel like most of my high school because we had laptops that the school gave us and I was just doing whatever I wanted for all that time. I can get a little passionate about this topic. So I think you're doing an amazing job. I
1: think that one thing I would say that I don't regret at all, and I know every family is different and there are people who feel very passionately about this in the other direction, but I personally am so glad that we limited screens and phones. Um, my son is 17 and we just let him get the internet. He's completely trustworthy on his phone. Before that, he had a phone that was you know, disabled from the internet and mm-hmm and my daughter's 15 and she has a phone without any apps or you know just that we can contact with contact her she can text us and yeah. beyond that no one else has a phone they didn't do video games we don't really do we'll do a family movie night or it's not that they never watch television but it's just not a daily part of our life at all and mm-hmm. i think that's been so good i think that's where they have really discovered their creativity because you know they want to have something to do. And if there's, it's so easy when there's a screen to get sucked in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even for adults.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And I think that is going to be, motivating for a mom who's like, I'm wanting to fight off the desire to like give my kids screens, but it's so normalized that I think to see the fruit of it in someone whose children are a little bit older and to hear like, yes, this will be worth it. Because I think right now it's so easy to look at your peers and like other mom friends in the same stage of life and be like, well, it's just, it's just an hour. It's just like every once in a while. And I don't know. I'm really grateful. My husband has like pushed me a lot um, in a positive way to like really limit screens of any kind. And you saw my little phone. So we don't have Wi-Fi at our house and we have our light phones and um, don't own a TV, which honestly we might get one at some point in time. But I remember growing up, I we were like a big movie TV show family, which I have a lot of good memories of, but I also know now, especially with tablets, I mean, goodness, that's like even more convenient. And also I know when I'm like having a hard day, I still, my instinct is like, I just want to watch a movie and just like tune out the world rather than, I don't know, bringing that sadness and emotion to the Lord or like drawing or journaling or doing some of these things. My instinct is still to just like numb and be on a screen. And so I think it's neat, even like some of the patterns that you're creating in your children's brains to like emotionally process things, giving them the tools to create and to worship. I think that's going to serve them really well in life too.
1: Well, thank you.
0: (laughs) So how have you kind of created a culture of worship and creativity in your home obviously that's been a part of your homeschooling rhythm but what did that look like kind of when your kids were younger and then how has that evolved because i just i love some of the videos you've shared of your kids leading worship in your house i know that that's something my husband and i talk about constantly as he's led worship and churches and just like is very very passionate about um worshiping in our home and so it's neat to see that kind of lived out how how did you guys go about cultivating that in your home
1: well okay I would look at that from two as two separate questions one about creativity Mm -hmm. and one about worship maybe yeah yeah go for it so I think um, we started homeschooling with using a Waldorf curriculum and every year and every semester really they're being introduced to new handcrafts. And so I was more systematic about introducing my my oldest children to like, we're going to sit down and learn hand sewing, we're going to learn embroidery, we're going to learn knitting or crochet. Um, but then as my children grew I think sometimes the older kids would teach the younger children and now it just feels much more free flowing than me. I, I think also sometimes when we try to come in swoop in as a teacher or the expert, I don't know that our children are necessarily as excited about the opportunity <laughs> as like when they can feel a little more autonomy over the process. Mm. I think that they see my husband and I, we are both uh, creative people. I think in that we like to figure things out ourselves, ourselves. And so I think that they have seen that modeled and they just go for things. In fact, sometimes I think they go for things and I have to tell them like next time, maybe we should talk about this before you get into something this big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like maybe we need to have a conversation before you start taking apart something that's, you know what they just come up with their own creative things. But in terms of singing at music has always been a part of our family life. The kids were have taken lessons um they had started with piano and now they take online lessons from the hunts i don't know if you know of the hunts Mm -mm. music oh my goodness they're amazing they're a family of seven siblings who are homeschooled and we were introduced to them through the wild and free conferences and we ended up working on a project with them at the wild and free farm village and sandy hunt asked if any of my kids wanted music lessons and so now um three of my children take lessons from the hunts all on different instruments, which is really cool. Jude's like, my dream will come true of having my own folk band because we need a lot of these
0: instruments. (laughs) That is exactly what John has talked about is wanting to create a little folk band within like the Von Traps, but a folk band basically. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So that's been awesome. And then I have a friend, um, her name's Terry Woods. Now she mostly uh, is on Instagram at Field and Forage, her flower account And, um, she had, she would share videos of her children singing. And I just thought she was a mentor to me and they would sing as a family. And to me, that just felt kind of cheesy. Like when I grew up and my parents would try to force that, I just felt super awkward and, I just thought it was cheesy. My husband felt the same way, but Mm. I love seeing it in her family. And I knew my kids felt uncomfortable with it. This was, you know, years ago. And I asked her, how did you create this family dynamic where singing felt natural and, and you know, you're, you're doing these cool songs together. And she said, we just did it. We just did it. And so even though I think this is something I would say to young moms, you can create the family culture that you want. It doesn't have to look anything like your parents. It doesn't have to look like your friends. And if you see something and it feels awkward or you think that's not really us, but I like that. There's something that sparks something within me. Just go for it. You know? I love
0: that. Yeah.
1: And that's what I did. I would see things that were inspiring to me. And I just thought this is the kind of family culture I want to create in my home life. And so I wanted singing to be a part of our home life. And now it's incredible. In fact, sometimes. My son will say to my my daughters, "You guys are so homeschooled," <laughs> because they'll be still, they're always singing. And my oldest two were away at Trail West, um, a camp in Buena Vista, Colorado. They worked there for a month, and mm-hmm. um, um, I just had my little girls with me, and it was like our life was a musical because we were all singing together all of the time. And I knew I wouldn't have my teenagers like disapproving
0: glances. <laughs> yes, that is. The best. I love that so much, and I think, yeah, I think one of my favorite things, um, and my husband too, to talk about and dream about is truly, yeah, creating this family culture, reflecting on things from our own childhood that we wanted, and things even throughout our teenage years that we we've wanted, and then also observing in other families that we've um, gotten the opportunity to talk with and learn from, and. Yeah, just starting I think is the hardest part because it is easy to think that you want something uh, but not – it feels harder to like be the one to do it. Um, It feels easier to just instruct, I feel like for me, instruct my children or think I'll teach them this thing later on but um, really they are looking to us all the time. Flora is just like a parrot right now. And I've noticed that if we sing little songs, um, she'll sing little songs. And so she'll sing about the compost and the strawberries. And I just look at her and I'm like, you are not even two and a half. Of course, I'm her mom, but I'm like, you are just brilliant. I love hearing you sing. And so, so neat to hear how that is being played out in your family. Yeah, but they don't have any, even though they might sometimes, you know,
1: you know, tease us a little bit if we're doing musical style singing. They are so comfortable getting out their instruments and yeah. singing, singing together. And um, it's it's such a blessing to me. Sometimes I just can't even believe it. It's, it's like I couldn't have even dreamed it this good. That's how mm. I feel about the teenage years. I feel like yes, it's just to have these conversations and read beautiful literature and poetry together, and have them singing um, mm. on our back porch with the twinkle lights in the background and surrounded by plants it just is like the most it's like my dream come true wow <laughs> and so much greater than yeah. that i just love it and so yeah, yeah they're very comfortable and they're comfortable with you know harmonizing and and everyone has a different part and
0: it's been incredible mm, yeah that's so amazing So I know that your Instagram name is Rachel Stitched Together. So did you kind of start, I guess, um, blogging and writing? Was it primarily surrounding like sewing things or has it always kind of been a mixture of like homeschooling and sewing and all of that? I started actually as um, I was blogging about our adoption. That
1: was kind of a thing back in like you know, 2010. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I started, I was meanwhile, also sewing. So it was a little bit of sewing and then the name stitched together. I just felt like our family was being stitched together. So it was oh, supposed to beautiful. be, beautiful. it was supposed to be like a pun. Sometimes yeah. I wish I had a just I had just now stuck with my name, but
0: yeah. my name is
1: taken now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! That's so so sad. people say I think I don't know your last name. I just always call you Rachel Stitch Together. Yeah. So yeah, and so I've been sewing since my kids were small. Did you teach yourself? I learned through indie um, patterns. Yeah, I okay. learned when I was very when I was in middle school. I had an aunt who showed me, but I really didn't remember anything that I had learned. Um, in my childhood. But then when I got to having children, I um, just wanted to, I wanted a different style for my kids than what I was seeing in the stores or what I would sometimes Mm -hmm. see that I wanted to get for them was too expensive for us to afford. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this sewing thing. And it's just been the most healing, energizing, incredible um part of my life. I'm so grateful. I have faced some hard things. And I have said to people, I feel like I have stitched myself back together through them. There's mm-hmm. such a, there's like a meditative aspect to sewing. And I'd be listening to these podcasts that were nourishing me spiritually. And while my hands were staying busy in Waldorf, they talk about how an education should involve the head, hands and heart. And I felt like Adding in the podcast element, um, sewing has been something that has involved my head, hands, and heart. And so, wow, yeah. that's
0: beautiful. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, I am going to take what you just said and explain that to John because sometimes I am just so exhausted if the girls are down for a nap or they're down for the night. And I'll look at him and I'll be like, Will you? stay upstairs and listen for the girls while I go so. And that's always so confusing to him. Like, if you're exhausted, just go to sleep. And I'm like, but there's something so, yeah, healing about working with your hands. And it is so interesting that you say that about the podcast element too, because I do find that I really enjoy listening to something or like praying as I'm kind of working on things Um, and it's just, yes. Energizing. It's feels like purposeful, just everything that you said really resonated.
1: I think as moms, when you're in that season of having young children, I always felt like my work was never done. I'd make a meal and then, you know, there's a big mess and there's dishes and there's always laundry and they're always you know faces to be wiped and you know, there messes to be cleaned up and and it just felt like that was unrelenting and so and i don't mean to be negative because it's a beautiful tender season yeah yeah um but for me to be able to work on something that stays done there was something very satisfying that i would be able to work toward it and it was done and it would stay done and then i could see my children wearing this thing that I had made and then it could sometimes be passed along and it's holding all of these memories, the memories Mm of what I felt as I was making it, the memories of them wearing it and then passing it along. It just, it was so meaningful. And also it connects us to our past too, knowing that so many of, you know, the women who have gone before me were sewing for their own children. And so I just felt a continuity in that from the past to the present into the future. And so it's it's deeply significant for me.
0: Yeah, it's such a lost art. And I know you having a gang of girls and I think about this so often too. Yeah, just the, the beauty of like the community element basically that you were talking about um, and the connection that sewing can have. I like thinking about making things for myself even that like maybe my girls will wear someday. I don't know if that's wishful thinking and maybe they'll look at it and say, mom, this is hideous, or maybe they'll think it's the coolest thing ever, or my grandkids will wear it. You know, We'll see. Do your kids sew? Are any of them really into it? They have been interested
1: in sewing. I think it's something that can be frustrating to teach a child if they're too young, but my daughter Indigo has made several things. She's 15. And then while my oldest two were away at camp, My daughter Tariqua and I worked on some projects, and we had a friend over, a friend of hers named Scarlett, and they picked out a pants pattern. It was so cute, and we together sewed pants and shorts. And we're going to do more projects. They are so creative, and it was such a joy to work with them. I just felt like my creative spirit had been ignited. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think when you're talking about feeling exhausted, another thing that comes to me is I think that in this day and age, like modern society. So often we can get into these feedback loops, like we think and then we feel, but often we're not in our bodies. And I think one of the great things about some of these lost arts, whether it's sewing or knitting or gardening, is it gets us into our bodies. And um, I've heard it said that when we get into our bodies, sometimes we can disrupt this feedback pattern of I'm thinking, so I'm feeling, and then I'm feeling more and I'm thinking about how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so when we break from that, we're, we're living like people have never lived before, where we're so disconnected from our bodies. If you think about how much people would be walking, their hands would be in the soil. I mean, there are studies that show when our hands are in the soil, we're being exposed to microbes that boost our joy and um, I just don't think we are meant to be living so in our heads. Knitting yes. has been shown to be therapeutic like yoga because you're crossing over the left and right hemispheres of the brain. And so I just think there's something, especially now, that's so healing about being in our bodies.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. That makes me think of why like, art therapy is so helpful. And we actually had someone on the show who's I think it was episode number 20. um, Carly Waddell, she is a um, licensed counselor and then is starting a ceramics studio where she's going to do, yeah, art therapy of sorts, um, integrating her work as a counselor with people throwing pottery because, yeah, it's so easy to be in our heads. And especially, I think having so much information about mental health and spiritual health is great, but it is easy to get into that cycle, like you said, of thinking and feeling and thinking and feeling. And so that's why taking a shower or like taking a walk just feels so good. And I think what is challenging for me, I'm reflecting on my own experience as a mom with young kids. It's so easy to choose the option to not get in my body because my body is so exhausted. It feels like in a way i am in my body from like nursing all the time carrying you know picking up just like my body is shot by the end of the day and yet it's so mm-hmm. life giving to actually do something that is going to help me and help my mothering to get my body so that's so great i'm so fascinated by the study you referenced about gardening wow that's mm-hmm. incredible what is your favorite thing that you've ever made if you could choose or a few of your favorite items that you've sewn I know you've made so many at this point well
1: I don't know but I want to turn the question back on you because I got to see some of your sewing oh and and making and I was so impressed I left your house feeling so inspired
0: well that is very kind of you yeah I have really been enjoying doing more like piecing In within the context of quilting because it's just a simple quarter inch seam and it's something that can come together without, for me, like much brain power. And that's kind of where I've been at lately, just enjoying the bodily experience, um, but not having to like think really, really, really hard about how all of the pieces are going to, I guess, Fit. I don't know why. Like, God bless the people who are making more modern sewing patterns as far as like clothing. Because every time I try to read like a vintage simplicity or even some of the more modern ones, I'm getting better at it. But just the language is so odd to me. I'm like, I do not (laughs) understand what they're trying to communicate. And so, yeah, I've kind of been enjoying some of those types of things. Did you find it was a learning curve for you as you were learning how to sew clothes, how to, like, understand? Oh, yeah. And when I was taking
1: Tariqua and her friend Scarlett through the pants pattern, I thought, how would anyone stand a chance at, you know, doing this if you were new to it? Because it was very confusing. It was yeah. very confusing. Even for me, and I've been sewing since my daughter indigo was one and she's 15 and so I mean I know I've learned things along the way but I still thought there's a very steep learning curve mm-hmm. yeah you know I yeah. feel very passionately about wanting c- to connect younger people and actually people of all ages to sewing and yeah. to make it more accessible for them because I think it it's great you can things come together so fast like I just was working on a capsule wardrobe for my girls and I sewed Mm -hmm. nine shirts. (laughs) The nine shirts was like, I felt, I felt good. I don't know that I've ever sewn nine shirts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just like
1: stuck with the same pattern. Okay. It was like an oversized raglan gauze top for my girls. And I just did three for each of them, uh, each, well, for three of the girls. And, and then, um, I did some basic gauze pants that were so easy and some little shorts. And so I'm liking this idea of creating a capsule wardrobe which would also pair back on what we need in terms of the amount of clothing that they have because mm-hmm. I'm all about trying to keep things more minimalistic.
0: Yeah yeah how did you go about like choosing some of those patterns and pieces? Well, I just yeah, I
1: guess just aesthetically what I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I just picked what I liked and
0: yeah and it was great yeah. That's so fun. oh my goodness. I hope you share some of your sewing spree because I definitely have been wanting to sew more clothing. I have patterns ready to go and fabric ready to go. I think I just need to like get over the mental block because I don't want to go and buy anything for my wardrobe, so I just need to dive in <laughs> and try it. You can text me anytime you get stuck. Oh my goodness I. Rachel, I need you to translate this for me. (laughs) I will. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm so excited. Okay. I have so many more questions, but I think I'm just going to have to like have you back on the podcast at some point. And maybe we'll do a follow-up where people can ask you some things. But we are going to wrap up with the same questions I ask every single guest. So what are three things that you have been loving lately? They can be totally random. Okay. Well, this year I have been doing a lot of flower gardening, and
1: so I'm loving that. My kids and I are thrifting for costumes for an event at the Wild and Free Farm Village, and so that has been so fun. Oh, fun. Is there a theme in particular? We have, we have several books that we are finding it's for an event called Fiction in the Forest, and so
0: How fun. we're
1: dressing. Yeah, that has been so much fun. It's been fun. Oh, yeah. um so we've been really into that and then um i really like
0: yorkshire gold black tea i would say that's something i'm loving oh i'll have to try that i just really feel like my palate shifted in the last couple years and i really do enjoy a nice cup of tea um i am a coffee drinker but is black tea caffeinated I'm bad at remembering yes. which ones. Okay. Yes. I loved coffee and I have felt like I have had to switch to tea
1: now that I'm 41 years old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're a useful, very useful 41. But do you feel like it helps with, did you get like jitters with coffee or what kind of made yeah, you decide to... I just felt like I love coffee. I love everything about
1: the experience. My kids yeah. are really into it. We have an espresso machine and they're little baristas and do the latte art and all of that. So it, fun. Yeah, but it just doesn't. I have trouble sleeping, and I get jittery, and I just don't feel as calm when I yeah. when I drink in it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, a nice black tea that sounds awesome. I'll have to check mm-hmm. that one out. How can we as a community be praying for you, Paige? That's so sweet. Um, I think right now we are navigating, figuring out
1: the college p- launching process for my oh, son. Oh, Yes. So that's been a really big deal, and you know just. Hoping and praying that he lands at the right place. He wants to be a surgeon. That's what he tells me. And so, oh my goodness, yeah. So he's you know feeling very serious about this. And mm. just want. I think where you go to school and you know that it just makes such a big. It, it matters. Um, yeah. So I think
0: um, just praying for us as we navigate that transition. Mm-hmm. Is he graduated or is he about? Like, will he graduate next spring? He'll graduate
1: next spring. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this is a big year kind of discerning that and your first child and your only son. There's got to be like so much emotion there. Yeah,
1: (laughs) there definitely is.
0: Yes. Well, we would love to pray for you in that and for him as he's kind of deciding what's next. And where can people find you and connect? Oh, well, I'm on Instagram at Rachel Stitch Together. Amazing. Do you still have a blog that you write on, or are you like not as active on that anymore? No, I haven't I haven't written on it for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like Instagram captions are just kind of the new the new blog at this point. It's... that's what I do. I write really long captions. Mm-hmm. So. I love it. Yeah. Well, I will be sure to link that in the description too so people can find you. But thank you so much for coming on. I'm so happy we finally got to do this. Me too. Thanks for listening to another episode of Love in a Cottage. I'm so grateful you decided to join us today and I hope you're going forward in your day feeling encouraged, understood, and inspired. Here are a few ways you can connect with our community and support the show. So the first way is to share the show with a friend. This is actually how most people find our show and I am so thankful every time you do this. You can text them a link or you can also share the show on your social media. This ultimately helps the algorithm get our show to more like-minded women who can find our community. And I also just love reading through your comments. They mean so much to me and are so encouraging. And finally, you can actually donate to the show by Venmoing PageGuidel or sending via paypal to hello at pageguidal.com i'm currently working on getting a website up and running so this is more official but it does cost time and resources and energy to create the show and even just five dollars helps so much with all of the monthly fees and time thank you guys so much for listening i'm so thankful for you and we will see you next week for another episode